Father, we just thank you once again for this day, the second day of the fourth month of this year. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness that we enjoy. Every day of our lives, O oh Lord, we just enjoy. You truly, O oh Lord, have been faithful to us. So many people haven't seen the light of dawn. Father, but Lord, you and your mercy extended to all of us one more day in the land of the living. And therefore, we just want to thank you. We want to praise you. We want to give you glory. We want to honor you this morning. Lord, even as now we meditate upon your word, speak to our hearts. You're a good God. Continue to work in our hearts and through our lives. Bless us this morning with hearing and bless us with a fresh anointing. Fresh anointing over the speaking and over the hearing of this word. You said, O oh Lord, in Psalm 133, you said, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity, for it is oil from Aaron's head to its spear and onto his garments. For it is there you have pronounced a blessing, even life forevermore. And therefore this morning we come to you because Lord, you and you alone have the words of eternal life. Not man's words, O oh Lord. Where can we go? Unless you, Lord, quicken whatever is in this book. Lord, where can we go? Father, therefore, speak to us. Yes, Lord, even as Peter prayed this morning, breathe, O Lord. Breathe, O Lord, your spirit over our lives. Breathe, O Lord. Anoint us and quicken us, for you promise that you will quicken our mortal bodies in these last days. Quicken us by your spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Anoint us and speak to our hearts this morning, for in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, we will continue our study. When I was uh, listening to last night's teaching, Pastor James, preaching sermon, message, whatever you want to call it, I think it's, it had all the elements. And um, I was uh, speaking to Sammy and I said, it's impossible <laughs> uh, to be this, to have the wisdom and the ability to properly represent God. Because all of us have the ability to go to one extreme or the other. We profane the name of God. To be able to have a holistic approach every time you represent God is absolutely impossible. And that is the reason why we need Him. We need His Spirit. We need His gift of the Holy Spirit, His anointing. Um, if you are the NIV Bible, if you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 18. And when pastor was talking about it, just came, this word came to my mind. Of course, uh, the context is different, but just this word, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse uh, 18. It says, um, it, is, it is in the NIV, I'm reading in the NIV translation, it is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. 
I I thought that was that was like the the uh, the quintessence for me at least of yesterday's sermon because I have, I had to really hang my head in shame because so many times um, I misrepresent God uh, through my life through my teaching maybe I don't know I might exalt his uh, his uh, his his wrath and not balance it with his mercy or sometimes I just exalt his mercy and not balance it with uh, it with wrath and. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. He says, it is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. And both of these together is something which is a mystery, which is, uh, which that, which, um, Paul says that holding fast the mysteries, uh, stewards of God, the mysteries of the stu- of, of God, um, being good stewards of it, you know. Um, second Corinthians, if you will, Let's go back to NKJV and chapter 2 and verse 15 onwards and chapter 3 verse 4 and 6, 4 to 6. Chapter 2 of verse 15 to the last. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death, (laughs) leading to death. And to the other the aroma of life. And leading to life. And then he makes a fantastic statement. He says, and who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? An answer? None of us. And he also gives an answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 4 to 6. Look at what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 4 to 6. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. We don't trust ourselves in, in, in representing God with absolute balance and not, not, um, uh, uh, holding on to extremes. Like, for example, when Abraham goes to God and intercedes for Sodom and he says, will not the just judge of all flesh, uh, be just? The judge of all flesh will fully not be righteous. And then he says, he starts interceding. He keeps on interceding until a point after that, Abraham leaves, God leaves, till the point where he says, when, if there are ten righteous, I will not let the righteous perish with the unrighteous. So that is the extreme, right? Is, Abraham is appealing to the mercy of God while not compromising his justice. So that is an, an amazing um, attribute to have and that is something which only God can give us because we do not have the ability in and of ourselves to, to, to holistically, if you will, to uh, represent God. And then he says, not that we have, we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency or our competency comes from God. And verse 6 he says, who has also made us ministers, sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter brings death or kills, but the spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. That means if you speak anything which is of the flesh, it is of the letter. The words that I speak, says Jesus, are spirit and life. So, an incredible challenge for all ministers of the word of God, or teachers and preachers and what have you, the word of God, to be channels of Jesus' mouth, that what they speak is coming literally from the heart of God and from the heart of Jesus. And and the thing is, we, we looked at the last night, it says, it's, it says that um, draw near to God and he will draw near to us. But isn't it interesting that even though God says that he always makes the first move. 
Adam sins against God and God makes the first move. He goes in search of Adam. Adam is not searching and he's actually running away from God. It was God who made the first move, even in the Garden of Eden. In every relationship, in fact, um, who's the humble guy? The one who makes the first move, or the? I'm not talking about people who, um, like, uh, like yesterday we we looked at that, you know, like uh, the example of Joseph's, Joseph's brothers and uh, and Joseph. Uh, Joseph is not going to reveal himself to. Um, his brothers before time. But that does not mean that he does not have an attitude to reconcile. He wants to reconcile, but based on truth. And for that, he's going to wait for God's timing because redemption is primary and they will be not, they will not be redeemed except at the proper time. But there's an attitude. Okay. There's an attitude. If you go back to the NIV, I want to look at this beautiful uh, passage that we know very often we uh, we we uh, quote it it's found in philippians chapter 2 of course we know this very well verses 5 to 7, 5 to 8 this is paul uh, talking about um is this an iv oh, okay um uh, you know my niv i mean this is, a, this is a, a, obviously the 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 niv of the of the older days in my niv it says in your relationship with one another I'll read it for you. It says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That is how verse 5 starts. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And of course, verse 6 will say, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He did not hold on to his rights. You know, Pastor Sundakrishnan explains it so beautifully. He says, you know, he held on to his rights very loosely. Loosely. Like, you know, the first thing when the baby comes out of mother's womb, how are its hands? Closed. You put a finger, closed. Everything, closed. We all come with this nature of grasping. You don't want to let go. It's mine. You don't want to share. I don't know if, when, when, uh, when we had Emmanuel, okay, um, we took Abigail to the hospital, okay. Um, so uh, she came to the hospital just, just about few hours later, uh, after Emmanuel was born. And, uh, Amama came, her grandmother came, and she was the grandmother's, uh, John, okay, the cat's whiskers at home, if you will. Okay, and everybody, because she was a first grandchild, everybody was pouring her attention, their attention onto her. And, and her, especially her grandmother, her Amama, okay, from, that is Justin's, uh, mother. She just had this relationship with Abigail. They just loved each other, okay. And, uh, for the first time when, when the grandmother came into the home, uh, into the hospital room, and then she just took the baby into her Hands like this, and you should see Abigail's face. Who's this sister who's taking my place? She was around two years old. Just, just slightly one month, um, past two years. See, it's like she didn't want to share that attention with her sister. It's impossible. But she wanted to hold on to her position as firstborn. 
We were all, we were like Jacob, no? How did Jacob come? I am the firstborn. Grasping the heel of his brother. See, he didn't want to share the position of the firstborn with anybody. Grasping. <laughs> so that, so that people say, he didn't come second, he came together. <laughs> that's what, that's what he was expecting people to say. But you know what? The housewife, I mean the, the midwife said, he, this fellow came first, this fellow came second, and from that time onwards, he wanted that position. Grasp, grasp, grasp. By hook or crook, I want the position of the firstborn. But how different our firstborn Jesus is. He says, you know what? I am the firstborn, you also can be the firstborn. No problem. <laughs> we are, we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Kya baat? See, that is the nature. He says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He said, you know what? That's how he died on the cross, right? Not like this. Like this. <sighs> that is God, no? And what are we? We are all graspers. That is how Jesus loved us, no? Our, the, the, the elder brother <laughs> is, is a real bad elder brother. He's like, he's a grasper. In fact, when his, when, when, when his brother would have left his home, he would have felt very happy. Hammaya. Thank God. Now I'm gonna work on this. I'm gonna make a lot of profit. And this is all gonna be mine. I'm not gonna share it with anybody else. That is, just speculating, I could be wrong, but <laughs> okay. Just think about it. But in the and he says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, verse six, verse seven, but made himself this is beautiful, nothing. If your your translation, other translations say uh, no reputation, just imagine nothing. Is, is, is exactly what it is. Taking the very nature of a servant or bond servant being made in human likeness and being found in, found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even to the death on a cross. So, we, 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 this is the attitude. This is how he came when, when we didn't want him. Right? It was God who came in search for Adam. We love him because he first loved us. We don't have the ability to uh, love him, we to, to search for him. We were not searching for him. <clears throat> See, we thought we thought uh, that we repented, right? Uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Who gave us repentance? He said, who gave us repentance? Who gave us? It's the sorrow of God. How can we have the sorrow of God unless God gives us his sorrow? It grieved his heart, it says in Genesis chapter 6. Unless godly, God gives us his grief, how can he give us his grief? Turn with me to Acts chapter 11, verses 17 and 18. 17 to 18, you can go back to NKJV, bro. Acts chapter 11, verses 17 to 18. Look at what it says. Therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us. This is talking about the Gentiles. When we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? No, this Jewish believers, they were all people who grasped. They didn't want to share anything of them, of their, of their, uh, of their spiritual inheritance with anybody, much less the Gentiles. They wanted to be among themselves only. (laughs) 
Peter, of course, had to learn the lesson, no? And when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God also granted to the Gentiles repentance which leads to life. Who granted repentance? God granted. So what is the, what is the primary, uh, let's say, um, um, primary, uh, Characteristic or 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 or, or um, symptom, or if you will, if you if you can if you can use that word, uh, that you've been uh, that you've been given the gift of Holy Spirit. There is a spirit of repentance that comes upon you. If you only think about speaking in tongues or uh, having power, no, 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 no. There's a gift of repentance. There's a change of mind that comes. And what happens? God is a person who grants us repentance. And the whole purpose of the ministry is with that spirit. Lord, anoint me with your Holy Spirit and with the truth of the word of God. Because the spirit of God is a spirit of truth. So that your, your spirit, when I speak the truth in love... That is holding not to both extremes. That God would give me the heart for those to whom I am ministering. So that God will grant them what? Repentance. That's exactly what Paul tells Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 25 and 26. Look at what he says uh, to Timothy. Tells Timothy and exhorts Timothy. He says, in how? Humility. See, in other words, when you take, when you are being given a revelation, don't take a position that you are better than the others. No. Don't ever think that you are better than the others. Don't ever think that God has called you into the ministry because you are better than the others. No. In fact, a genuine minister will never exalt himself above his brothers. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 17, please. Deuteronomy chapter 17. I'll tell you. And we'll come back to this point, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse... Verse 14 onwards. <clears throat> when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses. One from among your brothers you shall set as a king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Okay, fine. Next. But Look at that fellow. He shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. Okay. Mm, to, uh, to multiply horses, for the Lord had said that he shall not return this way. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply for himself silver and gold. And then, also it shall be... Um, when he sits, sits on the throne, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one from one of a, from one before the priests of the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. And next verse, that his what heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. You see. He'll bless you. You never take a position that you think that you're better than the brothers. God God has given you a position in the church or position wherever God has given us a position. It could be even in your office. You see, uh, that is the reason why Paul tells, why are you boasting? As if what you have, you do not receive from God. Okay. See, the, the world is like that. The world always exalts talent. And when you don't have talent, it just uses you and it throws you. After you don't have talent, nobody even sees you. You see, one of the reasons why 
many people don't want to retire from professional sport. You know why? Because they've been used to that, that, what do you say, attention. Uh, Roger Federer is apparently going to retire from all forms of professional tennis. One of the most difficult decisions for him to do. Why is it difficult, Baba? What have you not got? 20 grand slams. So much of money. For the rest of your life, you can, rest of your generations can be happily satisfied with whatever you have earned. But why do you, why do you hold on to that? You know why? Because you don't want people to forget you. And you know, you know, you know it very well. You, you, we all live in that moment, no? When you are, when you disappear from the scene, people forget you very easily. Who's Roger? We don't know. How many of you remember Michael Stick? Stitch. Anybody remembers? Nobody knows Michael Stitch. How many of you know Michael Chang? We know, we know what's his name, uh, John McEnroe because he comes to the commentary, commentary box. We know Jim Courier because he comes to the commentary box. How many of you know Marat Safin? Forgotten. He was the only guy who beat Federer in the Australian Open final and he got the Grand Slam. He won the, his Grand Slam, okay? So, nobody remembers. And people know this, this glory of this world is fading away and they want to hold on to it. Okay. So that's how the world is because world exalts talent and after that they know it's, it's, it's fading away. But he says, when you have been called into the ministry or any position, don't exalt, ever exalt yourself. And therefore he tells Timothy, in humility correcting those who are in opposition. That's a position, that's an attitude. Okay, they let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. If what? Perhaps God will grant them what? Repentance so that they may know the truth. So you're speaking the truth, but how are you speaking with humility? There's an, there's an appeal. Yes, there is authority, but there's humility. See, humility is not meekness, or is not weakness. No. Jesus was the whole, most humble man on, on, on planet earth who ever walked, but he had authority. They said, even the, even the, uh, the, the servants of the Pharisees came back and said, no, no man spoke like this man. They said, what kind of a teaching is this with authority that even the demons tremble? He was speaking with authority, but he was humble. He was, he was pleading, he was beseeching. There was something of him which was appealing to people and they resisted and detested that. Especially the Pharisees. Okay. So, so, in humility correcting those. Why? Why is this? This is important. That God might perhaps grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their what? Senses and escape the snare of the devil having been taken captive by him to do his will. Everybody in this world have been, been taken captive by the devil to do his will. I mean, in other words, they have submitted their will to, to the devil. That's what it means, essentially. God has to grant them repentance. So, speaking the truth of in love is absolutely impossible. It's not just difficult unless God gives us grace to properly represent Him. And you know, grace comes only to the humble. And you know, to be humble, God has to humiliate us. He has to humble us. You know, he not humiliate us. I mean, it's a very, of course, he sometimes does that too. Actually, he doesn't do that. We get humiliated because our pride is and our ego is hurt. See, the guy who takes the lowest position, 
उसको क्या है यू नो बडी सेज एंट वायर यू प्राउड नो बडी सेज दट राइट बट स्क्रिप्चर सेज गो टू दंट यू स्लगर्ड एंड कंसिडर अर वेज एंड बी वाइज नो बडी सेज दट एंट इज पावरफुल नो बट एंट has got power because i mean if you become like as small as an it's 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 very interesting right it says it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven it is easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle what a comparison <laughs> the what what a comparison so how does the camel go through the eye of a needle baba the needle is not going to become big the camel has to become small but the camel the the, the 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 what is that the the logic here is the camel can become as small as the needle but not a rich man wow in other words it takes a lot of breaking for a rich man who's rich in all his whatever achievements etc etc to really humble himself and god has to do that right that's exactly what happened to even even uh, naman naman with all his credentials the king was very pleased with him he was a general of the army god gave him a lot of success etc 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 but he was a leper and he had to hide you see so this is important for us so speaking the truth in love is impossible unless god gives us grace so god had to humble moses come to a point where in his life he says lord please send somebody else i am not fit and it's it actually happens you know when god calls you you know it he called you because you say lord i am not fit for this when you say yes lord i am the one who is deserving this okay i've all the, i've got all the credentials first thing it does is just throw, throws you out first i mean he had a plan on moses's life so he was learned in all the wisdom and the ways of the egyptians and you know what god said you know go go to the wilderness be quarantined for 40 years <laughs> under your father in law's rod is remarkable how god humbles is actually very 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 humbling to be under a father in law for a man of moses's stature and with zipora Because Zipporah was leading her home, she didn't even have the authority to circumcise her sons, his sons. God <laughs> had to almost kill him, and then she said, "Okay, you are a husband of bloodshed to me." She throws that thing on his feet before God, and God relents. Remarkable, no? Remarkable things happen. So we 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 have to understand that God has a process. and we don't escape that process no and god does it for all of us in different different ways god does it it's incredible how god can humble people you will be surprised <laughs> you just go back into your own life where he has humbled you you know it very clearly okay so this is how first he says it's impossible for god to give grace I mean, uh, it is impossible to properly represent God unless He gives us grace, and only when we have received the grace of God, we also have the heart of God. We go in search for others. See, that is essentially evangelism or or ministry. It's that we are sent by God. It's not that people are looking for us. No, 
look at uh, Romans chapter 10 verses 13 to 15. In one sense, it is that way, right? Romans chapter 10 verses 13 to 15. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. But he says, how can they call on him whom they have not believed? Question number one. Answer. No, they cannot call. And how shall they believe of him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall he they preach unless they are sent? You see, the essence of evangelism or salvation, it begins by God sending a, a preacher to a set of people who are not looking for him. That is how all evangelism has started, even in our country. Were we looking, we, were we Indians looking for God? Yeah, in some sense we were looking for God, but we didn't want Thomas, we killed him. And then as it is written, how beautiful are the feet, etc. So, so, that is the essence of, essence of evangelism. People were not looking for us and God still sends in search of those people who are not looking for him. Because left to themselves, will they even search for God? No! Sovereignty of God. He has to sovereignly move in their lives so that even to create a desire in them to seek him. For Some some people say, I was seeking for, searching for God. No, you were not searching for God. God put that desire in you. Nobody of us was searching for God. He was the one who was searching for you. And he put that desire in you so that you can seek him. That's what I believe. No, nobody in their uh, right mind would want to, <laughs> you know, serve this God because this God is absolutely holy and absolutely loving and we don't like this kind of a God in our right mind. So there's an extreme. So we, we are, we are, we have to have the grace of God to avoid both extremes. There was one extreme prophet. Do you know who that extreme prophet was? Who held on to only one side and he didn't want the other side. Jonah, exactly. Jonah, the extreme prophet. He only held on to the justice of God. These fellows, Ninevites, they deserve to be killed. And why is this man, why is this God sending me there? I know. He is sending me there, hoping that they will repent after hearing the verse message. I ain't going. And those Ninevites, they deserve to die. Look at what, what happens to Jonah in Jonah chapter 4 verse 9 onwards. <laughs> the extreme prophet. Okay. <laughs> verse 9 onwards. It says, but God said to Jonah, 4, okay? 4, 9 onwards. Yeah. Yeah. It says, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. <laughs> See, there are a lot of angry shepherds, angry prophets, angry evangelists. Boy, it's so, it's really, really true, no? I think once he was angry, who was, who was, who was angry was, uh, Moses. Once! He got frustrated and he, and he said, you, etc., 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 should we bring out water? Finished, over. You will not enter. At that one point, he did not represent God properly. Okay. So, 
He was a man under the old covenant. We can excuse him, but how much more we in the new covenant? Okay. Then God said, is, uh, Jonah said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, yes, it is right for me to be angry even after that. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And then he says, and should I not have what? Pity on Nineveh? That a great city, which is more than 100,000 persons who cannot discern between right and wrong. And that's exactly what, you know, what is happening in this world. Nobody has a clue as to what is right and what is wrong. It says, woe to those who call bitter sweet and sweet bitter. Who call darkness light and light darkness. That's exactly what the world is. Nobody even knows that homosexuality is a sin, for example. And I remember talking to Eric sometime back. And he used, he used to tell me, Pastor uh, uh, so some people in my university don't even know what that homosexuality is a sin. When I said it is a sin according to God, they said, what? Sin? What do you mean? They, they, they have no idea. The conscience has been absolutely desensitized. And we are rising up in a generation who are absolutely insensitive to sin. Absolutely. They don't know what is right and what is wrong. And we are the people who have to represent God to them. So that is the reason why it says, when they see the love that you have for one another, what is LTD? <laughs> love that demonstrates. <laughs> love that delivers. No, In the love that they see in demonstration for, when they see that love that you have for one another, how you love one another, at the same time you are not just Compromising on the truth, no? <sighs> you see that? Which cannot discern between the right and wrong. So it's very important for us not to be on those two extremes and but properly represent God. We have to be extreme towards God so that we can be balanced towards others. That is a sentence from my, that is original, okay, you can write it. <laughs> you can put it in your spiritual pipes and smoke it if you want to. If I were to use Art Katz's word, no? You see, you have to be really extreme. You have to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your heart, so that you can truly represent Him. See, only those people who have a close relationship with God. will know how to represent him to others. How do you know? That means you have to have that absolutely uncompromising relationship with God. In a sense, Lord, there should be nothing between you and me, Lord. Absolutely nothing. See, that is how we will actually love others, by loving him. Then we will know when we have to be hard and when we have to be soft, when we have to uphold his righteousness and then we have to uphold his mercy. Both. We need the wisdom of God. Some people, you need to uphold the righteousness before you uphold, you, you extend mercy first. Some people are already, you know, they're reeling under the wrath of God. For them, you extend. That's exactly what Paul says. You handed that fellow over to Satan now. No, bring him back. Bring him back. The whole purpose of handing him over to Satan is so that you can restore him. Otherwise, you'll lose him also. Let that not happen. See, see, seriously, you have this extreme love for God we need to have so that we'll be balanced towards us. Therefore, 
Jesus was extreme in his love for his, to his father. And therefore he knew how to extend love to his brothers, flesh and blood. He would never compromise. Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who, these are... These are my brother and my sister. It did not mean that he did not love his mother. No! In fact, he was loving his mother by speaking that. Otherwise, he would have compromised. He would have actually not loved her. You cannot love without speaking the truth. You cannot truth by, without loving. <laughs> <laughs> you see, it's a total, total balance that we need to have. Okay. But only when we have this extreme love toward God, we will be able to have extreme love toward others. How do we have an extreme love toward God? When we have a genuine encounter toward Him, with Him. And primarily when we encounter His holiness first and then His mercy. That's exactly what happened to Isaiah. Who oh, is me? He, he was a man who was speaking woe woe to the people who are putting house to house, woe to the people who are called who have called darkness light, light and darkness, woe to those people who called uh, bitter sweet and sweet bitter, woe to those who mix strong drink and drink beer, woe to those who pull sin with cards. Woe, 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 woe. Several woes he pronounced. And then he went to the temple. <laughs> okay, you know he had his extreme view toward those people. He was bringing out and calling out woes toward them, and then he went to the temple and he looked at God and he said, "Woe is me! <laughs> I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell among the people with unclean lips. I am just like them, Lord. I am not any better." And then comes the seraph with the tongue, with a fire from the altar. And then purges the iniquity. And then he says, who will go for us? Lord, I will go. You will keep on speaking, but they will not hear. Isaiah, your ministry. How many converts will you have by the end of the ministry? Zero. How long, Lord? Until. You see? But he has an encounter with God. And after he has an encounter with God, he has extreme love toward God. And because he has extreme love towards, toward God, he is able to speak the truth and properly represent God to his people. You see? Why was Paul all things to all men? To the weak, I became like the weak. So that I can wink the weak. I became like the Jews. I mean, to the those who are under the law, I became as those. Without the law, without the law, not... Without the law of Christ, of course, I became all things to all people so that, turn to Galatians chapter 4. Look at this. Look at beautiful verse, chapter 4 of Galatians. If I'm right, this is 10 and 11. Just a minute, please. I'll tell you the exact verse. <clears throat> yeah, uh, uh, 12 and 13. 12 and 13. Actually, brethren, I urge you to become like me because I became like you. You have not injured me at all. Stop there. That's exactly what God became. He became like us so that we could become like him. You understand, my dear brothers and sisters? So, be extreme toward God and then you will be balanced toward others. So, how did God demonstrate his love toward us? By How did he do it? Like, uh, 
what was what 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 were the what what was the steps that he took in order to win us back only one step he died for us okay but how did that happen and we'll look at a particular passage we we'll, very very familiar passage we looked at it so many times and it's found in romans chapter 5 verses 6 to 11 please romans chapter 5 verses 6 to 11 <clears throat> let's read that <sighs> you know this famous no everybody knows this let's read it from verses 6 to 11 and then we will take one verse at a time few verses at a time and try to understand very famous we know it um, but i'm becoming a good householder bringing out the old and the new okay so sometimes you'll get new sometimes you'll get old but hopefully everything fresh from god Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, 11, I'm reading from verse 6 onwards. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone even, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been recon- excuse me having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life and not only not only that but we also rejoice in god through our lord jesus christ through whom we have now received the reconciliation so let us look at one verse at a time <clears throat> let us look first at verse 6 romans chapter 5 and verse 6 alone it says for when we were without strength and in due time you see very important like like pastor was telling yesterday it is in the proper time that joseph will reveal himself to his brothers not before that not after that because you know what the redemption depends upon the timing it is only in god's time that he makes all things beautiful you try to rush before god or rush behind god nothing's going to happen lord convert this fellow <laughs> it's not going to happen because actually god is not working on that fellow he's working on you you don't understand that you are more important to god no if you are a believer nothing will come easy okay even god's ordained job for you will not come easy and if God has given you a God a ordained job, it is not going to keep the job also. It's not going to be easy. To keep the job also, it's not going to be easy. You know why? Oh, people think now, if God has promised me something, ah, it's going to come easily. And when I get into that position, everything will be easy. Promotion one, promotion two, promotion three, etc. etc. No, 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 no. Ayo. <laughs> it is not that God cannot give. God is more interested in you. 13 years it took for him to give what he promised Joseph. 13 years. Joseph was the cat's whiskers of his home. Zealous for his father's name. Etc, etc, etc. For him it took 13 years to possess the position that God has ordained for him. How much more you and me? Don't be in a rush for anything. No. Don't rush into a position where you are not prepared for. Even if God said one day I am going to use you there. I have called you. No, don't rush into it. Don't go and show one day to like Joseph. No, look at guys. You know I had a dream guys. You know what was the dream? 
all these big, big heaps of whatever, sheep, they were bowing. What do you think? He was not asking for information. And he, <laughs> he went to his father also. His father, Papa, 12 stars and uh, you also. What do you think? Hello. <laughs> See this guy, I mean, God had to break that. Okay. See, because, as, as I said, a king should never exalt himself above his brothers. You see, a prophet like Isaiah, who was speaking woes on everybody, should not become a prophet of doom all the time. If he has to represent God, he better have an encounter with God. He had better know what God's heart is. Okay. So we, God is after character. God is after character. So that is only uh, the exposition of in due time. Okay. <laughs> God is never going to do anything before time. He is going to wait till the point where they know that it's for, Je- for Jonah, it was putting him out first, sending, sending a storm. Okay. Making him realize that it is God. Would he relent? Okay, God, let the storm stop. I'll go to Nidavai. No. No, 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 no. Throw me out. I'll die. (laughs) Throw me out, I'll die. God is not going to kill him. No, 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 no. You see, death is in the hands of God. God is not going to even kill him. He's going to send a whale to swallow him. And the whale swallows him. And three days, three nights with all those acids and, and whatever, you know, the juices that thing is secreting. He was thinking he was going to die. God did not allow him to die. Three in a third night he said, okay, Baba, those who <laughs> run after worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Lord, from the depths I cried out. That is when he realized God had to wait till that point to break him. Because God knows, all of us, how stiff-necked we are. 40 years for Moses, three and a half years for Paul. But the process is important. Because God, see, age is not a big deal for God. No, it, it, it took 40 years for Moses, but his strength never abated for the next 40 years. His vision was absolutely 20-20. What is it called, 6 by 6 or 20 by 20? Both, 6 by 6 and 20 by 20. Okay. Okay, 6 by 6, 20 by 20. No, his vision, are kya baat hai bhai? Now, I'm, I'm 40 plus, now I'm finding it a little difficult to read small print. I'm like, oh Lord, please, don't make me realize my age. <laughs> you see, okay, God, it's, it took him that much time. So, that's just beside the point. For when we were still without strength, the point is this. We have to realize that we don't have strength. It is not that we are, we, we, we have strength. No, 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 no. We think we have strength. We have to realize that. When we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for us. So that he can make us strong in him. What is this? What does it mean? Without strength means absolutely incapable of producing in and of ourselves anything that would be acceptable and pleasing to God. Okay. 
That is the point. So God has to make us realize our weakness. You know, God has chosen the the okay foolish things and the base and and the weak things of the world to confound the strong. So we have to become weak. Or rather, we should realize our weakness. That is when we really, really are weak. I can do it. That is what we, you can do it, Ra. Have confidence in yourself. And we came back with a zero again, no, in the exam. <laughs> you see, a classic example of this is found in, of course, Acts chapter 3. We will read up this particular passage, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I mean, now, okay. <laughs> now, it's become one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I, could, I should be lying otherwise, no. I read it several times, but now it's become like, oh, it's beautiful. Let's read Acts chapter 3 verses 1 onwards, okay. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple. Never happened. Peter and John going together, one fellow wanted to sit on the right, and one fellow wanted to sit on the right, and one fellow got angry. <laughs> Peter got angry, John wanted to sit on the left, and James wanted to sit on the right. Okay, now, now they are going together. It only happens when God has really visited you. Now, Peter and John went up together. <laughs> it's like beautiful, no? They were all in one accord. And then who stood up? Peter stood up. Nobody was jostling for positions anymore. In fact, I mean, I am amazed with John. John did not write even a single letter until the end of his life. The gospel of John, like, I mean, what uh, the theologians say, that is one of the last gospels. It, at least 30 to 40 years after the first synoptic gospels were written. He was, he was a very senior man by the time he was writing the gospels and when he, when he was writing the epistles and also when he was given the book of Revelation. He was really, really a senior man in terms of age. Okay, this, so that's remarkable how God humbles, right? If these people are jostling for positions, God, I want to be used, I want to be used, I want to be used. God says, okay, hold on, I'll use you, but I'll wait. I'm the one who was closest to your bosom. Ah, I know. I know why you were close. <laughs> okay, you were close just in case anybody, somebody will come and put the handkerchief. Dasti laga dete na? You didn't want anybody to even put the handkerchief there, no? That is mine. <laughs> that is the reason why you are close to my bosom. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so that's just besides the point. Let's move on. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain layman. Who is this man? A man without strength. From his mother's womb, that is a representation of all of us, right from our mother's womb. What were we? We were birthed in sin, shapen in iniquity. So whenever these details are given, we have to understand it. Samagranga parishuddha grandani ardhanjeskoval. Samatulyanga. Holistic approach to understanding the word of God. That is the translation. 
Okay. Don't just look at one, one passage and run with it. No. Compare scripture with scripture. Whenever somebody says, right from the mother's womb, this guy was born blind. Huh? Question. You all stop there. Why is that detail given? That means it's representing all of us. Because how does it, John chapter 9 end? You don't have to turn there. It says, do we think that we are all blind? Who says that? The Pharisees say, if you would have said that you are blind, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have had sin. Now that you say that you see, your sin remains. You have the connection there between sin and blindness, born blind. So here what is he saying? A man who is lame from his mother's womb. A guy without strength from his mother's womb. Unless and until somebody carries it. That is what without strength means. He is totally dependent upon somebody outside of himself to achieve something for himself. Or to, to have anything of value in his life. So a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, birth in sin, shapen in equity, that's the essential idea here, was, was carried, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. Now this word beautiful is very interesting. It, it's on, uh, there's some connotation to it. I didn't want to go into the details of it, but it's very interesting. It's how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the gospel of peace. The same word is used for beauty here. Okay, I just want to bring that to your attention. Maybe you can meditate upon it and make a, a study later on. So what does he do? To ask alms from those who enter into the temple. You see what, and those guys were big. And if you see, actually even if you see in the Muslim nations, when you see, or even in, when you go close to the mosques, Lot of beggars and you'll see that everybody who comes out of the mosque, they do a lot of arms. And that is one of their righteous deeds, which they think that is going to bring them uh, proper karma and take them into the other side. The Hindus will say do that. Even the, even the Muslims also do that because it's a part of their law. Even the Jewish people also used to do it because it was considered one of the righteous deeds. Next one, move on. <clears throat> Who seeing Peter and John going about, uh, about to go to the temple, asked for alms and fixing his eyes on him. Who fixed his eyes on him? Peter, okay. Fixing his eyes on him with John. What a tremendous detail over there. You see how two brothers are working together. It's two by two. See, two, fixing his eyes on him, like pastor was, I mean, when I read this, I was just reminded of it, like pastor was saying, whenever you go go on the road, ask God for those eyes, so that you can see who is in need and who is not in need. And in the witness of two or three, everything gets established. And you had two people filled with the Holy Spirit, fixing their eyes on John and Peter, and you know what what he said? Look at, no, have you ever seen anybody at paradise intersection stopping the car and calling the beggar, come here, look at us. Generally what happens, the beggars are saying, I got to look at us and have mercy. It's amazing. You should see this is a sense of Christianity. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 45, please. 
verse 20 to 22. Let's read it. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you who have escaped from the nations. They have no knowledge who carry the wood of their carved image and pray to a God that cannot save. Okay. I'll tell about who's that God in this context. I will tell. Okay. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from the, from the time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a savior. There is none besides me. Look at me. And be saved. Okay. You know it when Peter and John are saying, look at us. What are they saying? Look at him. Because look at us. You know, Spurgeon was saved when he heard this particular text. And who was preaching? A layman. It was absolutely a cold day. It was a snowstorm. Everybody stayed at their home. And he was going to his church. His church was very far away. And he was walking, 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 walking. And then he he was feeling so cold. And he found some local church somewhere. And he got into the church. And in that day, the person who was supposed to preach didn't come. They were all praying and singing hymns. And they were waiting for the guy to come. And it was a snowstorm. He also didn't come. So then layman, he got up. And he started reading this text. After he read this text, look unto me. And he kept on reading several times. After that, he finished. Layman, no, he can't preach more. But then, look at what he says. He looks at Spurgeon and this is what he says. Young man, you look very miserable. And you will always be miserable. Miserable in life, miserable in death. If you don't obey my text. But if you do not obey my text, this moment you will be saved. Then raising his hands, he literally shouted, young man. Look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look. Now the question is, when people look at us, do they see Jesus in us? What are they looking? Look at us. That's the spirit Of the apostles, the spirit of Jesus. Often beggars look for our attention. They say, look at us and have mercy on us. Here there is an absolute reversal. Peter says, look at us. Someone suddenly gave the beggar the ultimate attention. Because this attention would change his life. No one came to him, called him and looked at him and said, look at us. That itself should have stunned that guy. And what does he do? Let's go back. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. This is exactly the problem with a lot of people. They do not know. Why they have what they have. The problem that they have is just not that problem because of the situations that they are in. It is because of who they are as people. Like pastor was saying, no? Naman expected cosmetic surgery. Plastic surgery. But God wanted to do open heart surgery. 
And what was this guy looking for? He was looking for what? Silver and gold. That's what he was looking for. Money. He says, the solution to my problem is money. Think about it, no? How foolish people are. It's a, it's a parable here. The question here that, that, uh, Jesus, uh, Peter was asking, how is it money is going to be a solution to your problem? Is it going to be, is, is it going to make you walk? Oh, he will say, yeah, I don't have to walk if I have the money. That's a deception of money. Look at what it says, verse 6. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Why? Silver and gold I do not have because silver and gold I do not need. That's what it means. You see, the, the apostles in the first century church, they didn't want silver and gold. Whenever people came with silver and gold, they said, put it at our feet, please. Here. And if anybody brought silver and gold, he said, why did you bring that money like this now? And pe- they judged people also for giving. That is the kind of discernment that they had. That was the kind of attitude that they had toward money. And this guy says, silver and gold I do not have because silver and gold I do not need. Does our attitude show that? You may have a lot of silver and gold. That's the reason why it tells, it tells in Timothy, First Timothy, you don't have to turn there. Those who are rich in this world, command them. It's a specific commandment. What should they, that should they should not put their trust in uncertain riches. Sirida vache vachino, sirida poe povun. <laughs> it'll it'll have wings. They say, no, the, the the money has wings and it just flies off. That's yeah, true. One disease is enough enough for if to, for for you to empty your entire bank account. And sometimes even if you empty your entire bank account, your problem will not be solved. It doesn't matter how much it costs. Can you bring my so and so to back to life? No, 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 no. What it means is this: your money cannot buy you. Bios. Life. If your money cannot buy you bios, how can it buy you eternal life? If your money cannot give you life on earth, how can you be so foolish to think that money can give you eternal life? And how can you be so foolish to think that you can serve mammon and also God. Silver and gold I do not have because silver and gold I do not need. Ultimately, everything in this world is based on the equivalence to silver and gold. Even the, in, in, even the 100 rupee note or 1000 rupee note you have, what is, what is it, what is it written? I promise to pay the bearer a sum of 2000 rupees. That means there's some two, if you go to the reserve bank and you give that 2000 rupee note, he has to give you 2000 rupees, rupees back of gold. It's ultimately silver and gold. That is essentially the value system of this world. And he says, look at us. Look at us. We are not earthly people. We are not earthly people. We are not of this earth. We may be living on this earth, but we are seated together with Christ Jesus in the heavenly places. Christ Jesus has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. In heavenly places, in Christ Jesus I am blessed. I do not even want money. 
And young man, you don't need money. You know what you need? You need him. In the name of Jesus Christ? Of what? Of Nazareth. Isn't it interesting? What a deja vu moment for Peter. Why am I saying it's a deja vu moment? Matthew chapter 26 verse 71. And when he had gone out of the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And what did Peter say? No, 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 no. And a little later, those who stood by, by him came to, came and said to him, surely you are one of them. Your speech betrays you. And you know what Peter did. Now you know what? He began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know this man. Immediately a rooster crowed. It's a deja woman. And you know what? I was ashamed of that name. But now that is the name that I need. That all I need is that name. And in that name I have everything. Taking by him, taking him by his, by his hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles what? Became Strong. Received strength. So what did he do? Immediately, what does he do? So he leaped up, stood up, walked and entered the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. So what do you need when God says you should worship the Lord your God with all of your strength? You know what you're saying, Lord? I don't have that strength. I don't have it. Unless you give it. I don't have the strength to serve you. I don't have the strength to praise you. I don't have the strength to walk with you. Unless you give it. So he's jumped. So, how did this happen? How did this happen? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, right? Look at what it says. No, turn to Acts chapter 3 again. Back to Acts chapter 3. Verse 11 onwards. While the man held on to Peter and John. Verse 11, yeah. Now, now as a lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John. I like that. I love that. You see, you heal. This is so important. I'm, I'm, I can just go on and on with that, but I'm not going to stop. I'm going to con- control myself. Okay. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called, a, which is called Solomon's, and gre- were greatly amazed. Then what happens? So Peter saw it. He responded to the people. Now comes the moment of truth. You see the balance now. He showed mercy. And he is not going to show mercy at the expense of compromising on the truth. So look at what he says. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why you look? do you look at us so intently? As though by our own power and godliness we made this man walk. And then he says, first thing he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob... The God of our fathers glorified his servant, Jesus, first thing. You know what he says? This is because of who? Jesus. Who's the, who's this God? The God of Abraham, God of Isaac and God of Jacob, your God, exalted and glorified Jesus Christ of Nazareth. What does he mean? You know, in other words, he was telling this God of, that you serve, exalted Jesus Christ of Nazareth means what? He gave him the same position as God. 
That's what he told, right? In Hebrews chapter, you don't have to turn there. In the book of entire, in the entire book of Hebrews is based upon this premise. Jesus was greater than the angels first. Jesus was greater than Moses second. Jesus was greater than Joshua third. Jesus was greater than Aaron fourth. Jesus is equivalent to what? Melchizedek, the eternal priesthood of the order of Melchizedek without father, without mother, without beginning, without end. That is the Jesus whom God has glorified. That is the Jesus who said, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> you see, one of the most difficult things for people to accept the fact is that it's Jesus is God. Romans chapter 9 verse 5. Romans chapter 9 verse 5. Of whom are the fathers? This is talking about the Jewish people. And from whom according to the flesh who came? Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. He says, He is God. Turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter, if you have the ESV, okay, turn to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1, in the ESV. Verse 17 and 18. Look at this. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who was on the Father's side has made him known to us. What amazing truth. Actually, KJV says the only begotten son. No, but ESV has a different rendering which I thought is interesting. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You know what he's saying? Remember Daniel chapter 7 where there was one like the ancient of days and there was one like the son of man who came and sat next to the ancient of days and to him was given kingdom and dominion and power and for his and the, for the for his kingdom there was no end. Who is that? The same God who was next to God. You see when we go to heaven it will be like an incredible thing. No, Ultimately our destination is a who? The father. No one comes to the father except through me that when we go at least a few people saw Jesus on earth okay at least in that generation okay they all saw Jesus as man we will also see Jesus as the glorified man Uh, what's his name John the apostle saw Jesus as the glorified man in the island of Patmos but did he see the father but ultimately one day I don't know what's going to happen I'm just speculating we'll see the father I mean, that mystery of Trinity will be just possibly being, will be, will be revealed to us in some sense. I think that is the time when we'll go crazy. We'll not have the capacity to handle. Our brains will just be blown away to different, different bits. I mean, expanded, I mean, to comprehend <laughs> what God is going to reveal to us because we'll not have the capacity to grasp that. The eternal God. No man has ever seen God. The only God who's at the Father's side, who's this God, Baba? Jesus. So Jesus Christ, so he says, the God of Isaac, God of Abraham, God of Abraham, Isaac and and Jacob exalted Jesus of Nazareth, meaning what? He has given him the position of what? God. You know why? Because he humbled himself to the point of death. God has exalted him and given him a name above every other name. Okay. First, the first thing he says is that this Jesus has become He's God, not just an ordinary man. Second, verse, uh, go back to uh, Acts chapter 3. 
uh, verse uh, 13, yeah, 13 and uh, 13. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant, whom you delivered up to, to, to what? To what? To deaths. You killed. You handed him over to be killed. And you denied him or disowned him before Pilate, though he was determined to let him go. Why? First he is God. And you handed him over to Pilate to be killed and you denied him. Why did you deny him? Matthew chapter 27 verses 17 and 18. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said to them, Why do you want to, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? For he knew that they handed him over because of envy. They handed him over because of envy. Envy. Why did they hand over Jesus to them? Because envy. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because of envy. Why do we slander our brothers? Because of envy. Why do we accept bad about others? Envy. Let's say for example a guy who is very talented and good. And is being used by God, let's say mightily. Suddenly somebody will say, you know, this person is of, is being used by God mightily. That person, I know him. What about him? Ah, you know, this is this, this, this about him. Oh, you see it? Suddenly you see, your attitude toward that person changes. You know why? God is re- revealing your envy. But if you're truly happy with that brother, you know what you'll do? I don't want to hear anything bad. You see how easily we can be swayed? You know why? I'll tell you, my dear brothers and sisters, it is an honest, honest confession about my heart. I don't know about your heart. If it is better than mine, it's great. I receive bad about others because I'm envious of what God has given them. This is the truth about me. Because I can cannot handle it. Because of envy. Is God? And you were envious. Third, let's go back to Acts chapter 13 and verse 14 now. He was determined to let him go. (laughs) But you denied the holy and just one. And you asked for a murderer. In other words, in your sight, a murderer was better than God. My favorite psalm. You know what my favorite psalm is? Psalm 50. One of my favorite psalms also. (laughs) Psalm 16 of course is great. Also, Psalm 50 is another one because it's so close to my heart. When I read it for the first time, verse 16, 50 verse 16. 
But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? And then, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you, when you saw a thief or robber, you consented with them and have become a partaker of adulterers. So when you looked at Barabbas, you said, uh, he's like us. <laughs> we want him. We don't want him. It's a revealer of our heart. You know, I remember um, Jesus is, uh, I think James or John comes to him and says, Master, somebody was uh, casting out demons in your name and we asked him to stop. Don't stop him. For who is not with me is against me. But who is not against me is with me. You disown him. And you ask for a murderer. Why? Why did you ask for him? Because it's a, it was a revealer of your own heart. You thought he was better than to have him. Let's go back, read it further. Acts chapter 13. You killed the prince of life, but God raised him from the dead. Let's read from Matthew chapter 27, verses 19 to 26 to understand this. Why? Why did they, why did they, what did they do by killing? While he was sitting on the judgment seat, this is Pilate, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with him, that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that we should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to him, what then shall I do with Jesus the Christ? They said, crucify him. And the governor said, what evil has he done? Let him be crucified, they shouted. Next verse. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands. I am innocent of the blood of that person you see it. And you know what they said? Let his blood be upon us and our children. You know, what a, how hard-hearted you can be that you are ready to risk the life of the next generation because of your hard-heartedness. I remember one sister, she's a Brahmin convert, comes from a Hindu background. Okay, she got converted and uh, her brother was a very, very, he was a he was a vagabond, okay, a drunkard. And she went to her mother and said, Amma, send brother, Anna, Anna ne church go Send him to church. You know, uh, Jesus can help him to get out of this habit. You know what she said? Let him die a drunkard, but he will never come to Christ. Let him die a drunkard, but he will never come to Christ. In other words, let his blood be upon me. It's a hard-heartedness. And then he says, God raised him from the dead. Let's go back. God raised him from the dead, which we are witnesses. How did you become a witness, Peter? Oh, we saw the resurrected Christ. Oh, that's just not the, that's just not the point. You know what? We just not only saw the resurrected Christ, uh, this resurrected Christ restored me. 
who ran away from him and denied him. That is a witness. And he did not just restore me, he commissioned me. We are witnesses. See, they show an act of mercy, they display an act of mercy, but at the same time, they said, you know what, that Jesus whom you crucified, they also speak the truth, but they don't speak the truth without love. So that, turn to Acts chapter 3 now, finally, verse 16 and 17. 16, and his name, through faith in his name, this man has become strong, whom you see and know. In other words, you also do not have the strength to praise this God. By faith through Jesus Christ, you can also be made strong. Let me tell you something, my dear brothers and sisters. This is a very simple truth. A very simple truth. Many of us don't have the strength to please God. There's only one person who can provide us strength. You know who it is? It is God. It is impossible for us to show mercy. I'll tell you something. People who are involved in mercy ministry, they need a lot of strength. I'll show you. First Peter, chapter 4. I didn't say that. Let God say it. Verse 10 and 11. As each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. As the oracles of God. Does he say, with the strength that God provides? No. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it with the ability that God supplies. Isn't it amazing? In order to show mercy, we need what? Strength. In order to show mercy consistently, continuously, we need strength. In other words, in order to show continuous, consistent mercy, we need to enjoy His mercy every day so that we can extend mercy to others. Strength in His name. It's a very simple truth. If you are feeling powerless, Lord, to please Him, we are all, we are without God powerless. We are impotent without God. It says, His body was as good as dead. Whose body? Abraham's body. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Both were dead, impotent, absolutely insufficient to produce anything of eternal consequence. God visited them. God visited them. By this time next year, I will, what, visit you and Sarah will have a baby. Through whom? Through Abraham. They were made strong so they could have children. See, having bearing children, you need to have strength. Mothers need strength. That is the reason why they say have mother, have babies when you are young. When you grow old, (laughs) it's not easy. She's what, 90 years old? How can they have a baby unless and until God has visited them with strength? That is grace. The power of God. 
Let's go back now to Romans chapter 5, verse 6. See, God visited us, right? When we were first without strength. Second, when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. All those people without strength, they were all what? Ungodly. How ungodly were we? I'll tell you how ungodly we were. Turn to Jude 1 verses 14 to 19. It's very interesting. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners <sighs> what is this Baba? ungodly among them about their ungodly deeds which have been done in an ungodly way which have ungodly sins have spoken against him these are grumblers complainers walking according to their own lust and their mouth uh, with and they mouth great swelling words flattering people to gain advantage and then but you, beloved, remember the words which we have, which were spoken before the apostles of our, before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that you should be uh, that mockers would come in the last days who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. So you have ungodly lust. Go to the previous verse. You have ungodly men committing ungodly deeds in an ungodly way. They are ungodly sinners having ungodly lusts. This is how ungodly we were. It is not only that our deeds were ungodly, we were doing those deeds in ungodly ways. Boy, how is that possible, you will say? (laughs) And we didn't just have lusts, we had ungodly lusts. And what we are, we are just not sinners. We are ungodly sinners. Meaning, that are there godly sinners? Oh, yeah. See, people who are in the kingdom are godly sinners, yeah? You are laughing. Ungodly sinners. Ungodly ways. That means every aspect of your life stinks of ungodliness. That's what it means. Your lusts actually comes from the word desire. You know, desire is not wrong. But desires, when they go out of control, are wrong. That means if they are not godly desires, you know, there are godly lusts for sure. The spirit inside of you lusts. That's what the KJV uses the word. Lusteth with envy. That means there are desires which have to be godly. Meaning they should be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And what are, what are these guys? They have desires which have gone haywire now. You know why? Because they are ungodly sinners. Committing ungodly deeds in ungodly ways. Ungodly. Everything about their life is ungodly. They is the point. And you know what God says? I died for you when you were this. This is what I did for you on the cross when everything about you stinks. 
by this time, he stinketh. That's what we were. Corrupt. After some time, what happens to a corrupt person? Anything which is corrupted, you open the fridge, now it starts stinking. We are, we became a stench in God's nostrils. That's exactly what happened. The whole earth was corrupt, it says before God. Corrupt! What are we? Ungodly. And God still died for us. Let's go back now. Acts, Romans chapter 5, verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. At for perhaps a good man, somebody won't even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love towards us that when we were yet sinners, God died for us. See, we were just not people who were sinning. We were slaves of sin. John's Gospel chapter 8 verse 34. (coughs) Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now go to KJV bro. KJV. 1 John chapter 5 verse 17. And 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. All unrighteousness is sin. Okay? Got that now? What is the definition of sin? Anything which is unrighteous. Which is unrighteous. It doesn't have the character of God. Is sin. 1 John 3, 4. Transgression of the law is sin. James 4, 17. You know it. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and does not do it, is also sin. So what is sin? If you do something which you are not supposed to do, is sin. And if you do not do certain things which you are supposed to do, it is sin. And for a believer, Romans 14.23. Boy, this is remarkable actually. When I But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith, even if you eat or sleep or drink, is what? Sin. In other words, you could be sinning by eating. It is not how much you eat, it is with the attitude with which you eat. The attitude with which you eat. Now think about it, no? I gave this example so many times. Elisha, Goes past that Shunammite woman's home. She says, this man is a man of God. And often he would go to his house and eat and drink. Not even one miracle or not one Bible study. But you know what she, what she perceives? This man is a man of God. Just by looking at his behavior. How he eats and how he conducts himself. Can you imagine? Just you sitting there, your very presence there. I, I gave this example, no, some time back. Just an example, okay, uh, to show you how people can see who is a godly man or not. No, I mean this is not to flatter anybody. Just giving an example. Few years back, we had to uh, we had to uh, register our trust. Okay. So Pastor James and I, we had to go to a to the registrar's office 
to get the trust deed registered with the sub-registrar. So there's a lady over there who helps you with the whole process. So I went and I was like, Pastor James and I went. I said, Pastor, you just sit. I'll get, get the lady to do all the stuff. And uh, uh, so I went there and uh, she was telling me what to do. And I was filling up all the forms. And and she got me all the forms that I needed. Everything was done. And she put everything into a file like that. And she said, uh, you know, my fees is 500 rupees. She's an employee in the office. And she says, my fees is 500 rupees. I looked at her and obviously I know that she's asking for a paisa. Then I said, okay, my boss is here. I'll just go and ask him and come. She says, no, 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 no. Don't ask him. You give. I said, he didn't open his mouth. He didn't do anything. How come when he sees that person, she says, don't ask him. And how do I look like? Not even a word. Not even a word. Not even a word. Like yesterday we were discussing about art cats. He would just sit in his cafeteria, lunchroom, with his colleagues. And a, a, a woman came up to him and he, he didn't even open his mouth. She came to him and she said, your very presence accuses me of sin. Means the guy is there in the cafeteria by faith. Can you stay in a position by faith like that? Don't go to, if you do not go to cafeteria by faith, you are, can you imagine? If you extend the definition of sin to every, every state in our life, and unbelief is sin, I am going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. That means every aspect of our life, if it is not propelled from the throne of God, or inspired from the throne of God, is not an act of faith, and therefore it is sin. Unbelief is sin. Very just, just, just think about it. No, think about it. Um, we do not uh, have that. It's, it's, it's even our repentance sometimes. No, even our repentance, if so-called repentance, is not genuine. What, I'm, what do I mean by that is this, no? Um, I know a man, whether in the body or in the, or in the spirit, uh, spirit, I don't know. He got a, he flunked his math exam. And he rushed to his uncle's home and he started weeping there. Okay. And uh, that uncle looked at him, what happened Vijay? Oh, sorry, that man is Vijay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I got a, I got to, I got to, I started crying. Now, Padnana, look at, my, my uncle is looking at me and he says, Are you Vijay? It is okay, Ray. Don't feel bad. No, 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 no. I'm, I, I flunked my exam. I'm, I'm crying. Now, I didn't reach home. So, 
my pedanna called my parents and said we just feeling very bad poor fellow he got very low less marks in math my father said what is he doing he's crying <laughs> and my father said i know why he's crying he does not he's not sorry <laughs> because he's going he's got very less marks in math he's sorry because he's going to get something else from me see often our even repentance is like that it's not from faith our repentance itself is sin you know why because we don't repent from faith it's not godly sorrow it's worldly sorrow which produces grief Judas regretted but in our faith his regret was worldly regret his repentance was worldly repentance because he did not believe in the son of god his was repentance which is sin <laughs> and when we were that <laughs> christ died for us did he look at our repentance before he died for us no did he look at our godliness when he tried for us no did he look at our potential when we died when he died for us no he died for us because he had to take the lack of our repentance also upon himself because when we repent how many of us really genuinely repent we trust in our repentance not in god that is the reason why no so many people they they don't have repentance they have regret they don't have repentance let's look at the last point let's go to romans chapter 5 was nine much more than having been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for if when we were enemies first we were without strength second we were ungodly third we were sinners and finally i think this is the most painful thing for god we were his enemies now whether god was our enemy or we were enemy of god i think it was mutual here in this case i don't know i don't want to read too much into the text but i just want to look at one one place yes i think god was our enemy why was he our enemy james chapter 4 verses 3 to 4 you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it upon your own pleasures adulterers and adulteresses don't you know friendship with the world was enmity with god like pastor was saying yesterday we are all harlots adulterers and adulteresses and because we were adulterers and adulteresses we made god into our enemy and yet christ died for us and how did he reconcile us to himself you want to see the picture of it hosea chapter 3 
Hosea chapter 3. This is one of my favorite. This is the gospel according to Hosea. Gospel according to whom? Hosea. Then the Lord said to me, Go and again love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Can you imagine this? This is graphic. Graphic. God is telling Hosea. Hosea. Hosea also comes from the from the Hebrew word Hoshea, where Yahweh is my salvation. Jehoshua, Hosea, all these have equivalent roots. Yahweh is my salvation. This is a picture of Jesus Christ. The picture of Jesus Christ. Go again. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. And in other words, this lady is not interested in her God. She's literally sleeping with somebody else. And God calls who? Hosea, a type of Christ. Who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Let me tell you something. Many lovers... You know, it says in Jeremiah, lot of people, harlots, they get, they get paid for their harlotry. But you, you pay your lovers to sleep with you. Under every green tree, under every stone, you played the harlot. Who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery. Just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel. Who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. Why? Every time people get raisin cakes for Christmas. Now I get, now I get scared. Cakes full of raisins. Now, you know why that is? You know what raisin stands for? A person who makes a Nazarite vow, he is not supposed to drink wine. He is not even supposed to eat raisins. Why he is saying, I am wholly consecrated to God. That's what you said, Israel. You said, Israel, you are saying that you are totally consecrated to me. Now you know what you are doing now? You love the raisin cakes of the bacons. And you are not even interested in me. And you would continue that unless I send a prophet like Hosea. Look at the next verse. So I bought for her for myself. Boy! Wow! That means she is being sold now. She is being sold. That means nobody wants her anymore. Or maybe she just give, she's, what, what do I say? I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one and a half homers of barley. You know what it means? It means literally I emptied everything from my pockets to buy her back. Completely. How much? How much? Uh, she's 15 shekels. How much do I have? 
10, like, like Dr. Richard was saying, I have money in all my different, different places in my home because, and, and, and I said, yeah, that's exactly what he, what, what Hosea did. How much? How many shekels? 15 shekels. Let me see. Uh, oh, I've got only five shekels. Okay, let me just go back home. Oh, five shekels there. Maybe two shekels over here. Two shekels over here. Two shekels over here. He searched his entire home and he sold everything that he had and he went and brought her back to himself. And I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days and you shall not play the harlot nor shall you have a man so too will I be toward you. But what did she do? Okay. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim, etc. Stop there. We were fooling along with many lovers. We were adulterers and adulteresses. We were enemies of God. We were finding satisfaction in something else other than God. And God said, you know what? When you are my enemy. You know what? It says jealousy is a husband's fury. Turn to Proverbs. Chapter 7. Sorry, chapter 6 and verses 34 and 35. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 34 and 35. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore he will not spare on the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense nor will he be appeased though you give him many gifts. No way. Sorry. No. But on the other hand, I brought you to myself. And I said, don't be a harlot. Love me just as I'm going to love you. Therefore, in Jeremiah chapter 2, let's see from verses 2 to 8. Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem saying, Thus says the Lord. I remember the kindness of your youth. <laughs> we looked at that, right? The love of your betrothal. When you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness, meaning they belong to me. The first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon him, says the Lord. Meaning, you touch her, she's my girl, you're gone. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel. What injustice or what iniquity have your fathers found in me that they have gone out of uh, far from me having followed idols and have become idolaters. Stop there. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of God. He's crying out to all of those people and he says, you know what? You are an enemy like this to me. You are not only without strength, you are not only ungodly, you are not only a sinner, you are absolutely unfaithful to me and still I died for you. I died for you. That is how much mercy I showed you. I showed you mercy not because God was unjust in showing, not showing wrath on you. I took that wrath upon myself. 
Let's go back to Romans chapter 5 and verse. Nine. Nine, nine, nine. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from whose wrath, Baba? Yeah, jealousy is a husband's fury. It's fury. Wrath through him. Who, through whom? Through him. No, anything. No one comes to the Father except through him. We always give give thanks to God for you through Jesus Christ. Question is, we know all this, right? We know all this. But when are we going to but when are we going to, uh, to, brother, just can you give us, uh, give us five minutes, brother, brother? We are going to finish, finish in, finish in five minutes. Yeah, we'll finish in that. So, God has shown us this kind of a demonstration of His love. Do we still have any inhibitions about our devotion toward God? You see, these are all truths which are objective. But we have to experience it in our own life subjectively. These are all objective truths. But unless and until we experience it in our own life subjectively, we will not love God with all of our heart. See, the ultimate result of this is this. Let's go to the next verses, 10 to 12, okay? Look at what it says. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And then verse 11, and not only that, now we rejoice. ESP says, we joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have received what? Even the atonement or redemption or reconciliation. Now that we were reconciled to God, you know what we begin to do? We begin to enjoy God. We enjoy him. I mean, there's a powerful verse in First Peter, which I want to. Sh- which I, I'll end with that. First Peter, chapter one. Look at this. This is a beautiful, beautiful verse. How do we? How do we? How do we enjoy God? First Peter, chapter one. Let me show you. How do we enjoy God? Okay. Look at what it says in First Peter, chapter two. Uh, sorry, chapter one and the last verse for the day. Verse number. Uh, Uh, actually let's read from uh, verse 5 onwards 5 onwards, 5 to 8 it says we we are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time in this you greatly rejoice though you now for a little while if need be having been grieved by various trials that the tested genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it it be tested by fire may be found to praise, honor and glory uh, at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen you, love, though you now not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, having obtained the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What He says, you know what, you did see him. 
but you still love him. You know what? There's a picture that comes to my mind. Rebecca and Eliezer are having a conversation. Okay. Has Rebecca ever seen Isaac? No. And even as Eliezer is speaking about Isaac, she is like longing to see him. She has never seen him. Seen him. And one one day, she looks at him. He comes halfway down to where? Which place? Beer Lai Rohi. That is where Hagar says, you know, she gets a drink. Isaac is there. Half the way. And she looks, who is that man? She has never seen him. But one day, she saw him. You know what we do? Therefore, 1 John chapter 3. We'll end with this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself just as he is pure. You understand? What is he saying? He's saying, now that you know that God died for you, God died for you. Who, who died for you? It is God who was crucified. It was just not Jesus. It was God who took the wrath of God upon himself. We were saved from his wrath. Why? Because he took the wrath. God took the wrath of God upon himself. And therefore he died for us when we were what? Ungodly. So without strength, sinners and enemies. Therefore, what is that we have? We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you know what, what that means? Our entire purpose is Lord. You and you alone. You are my delight. I want to know you. I want to joy in you. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Nobody else can give me satisfaction other than you. I have tasted you. And all other things in this world, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to your blood. You know why? Because I saw him. See, from his hands, his head, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, nor thorns compose so rich a crown. So where the whole realm of nature mine, where an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Father, we don't have an excuse. We don't have an excuse for not giving you our everything. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that even as we spend time in your presence in these days, that you will minister sufficient of your spirit into our lives and begin to work your love in us. If any man loves the world, your word says, the love of the Father is not in him. We want that love, Lord. We cannot manufacture it in and of our own self. 
And therefore I pray Lord. In these coming days. Father we want to know your love. We want to experience your love. We want to enjoy your love. Father. Enable us therefore. To understand who you are. Truly. In a more complete way. In the days to come. We thank you Father. We praise you. We give you glory. For in Jesus name. Amen.